Talladega Nights was the moment was the movie that I stopped trying to see the yearly Will Ferrell goofy movie uh, release. I don't think Will Ferrell so, was in the goofy movie. Hey, and welcome I would, I would. <laughs> to the Down the Front podcast, the official podcast of DownTheFrontPodcast.com. Uh-huh. My name is Warren, Yuck, and what if we do here, if this is your first episode. We usually go around, hang out uh, with a bunch of our friends. We review movies, we review TV shows, a bunch of things that's in the news. We talk about sports a little bit. All over our favorite <laughs> beverage odds, which sometimes could be alcohol. Um, this is tis the season for David's tea, so hashtag to that because that tea is delicious. And tonight, we are going to give you a full review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, super interesting movie. I'm very excited to talk about this. But before we get into that, I want to do a bit of a roundtable. I'm going to toss it over to a bunch of my best friends. I'm going to look at uh, the guy that we grew up with. Uh, this guy, I think, has been on the most podcasts ever, which is good on you. Mouth of the South. Brylon, what's going on, man? What you sipping on tonight? And what a, what have you been drinking? Hey, welcome all and my watch- twippy fellows here and whippy friends uh i am currently drinking uh some whiskey gentleman jack wanted to keep it classy tonight so i am enjoying that right now uh what i've been watching recently is i recently saw john logazamo's latest stand-up latin history for morons on netflix and john logazamo is a comedian that i have actually loved for many many years going all the way back to the pest and also one of his first stand-ups, Freak. Uh, I have always enjoyed what he's done when it comes to stand-up because he always goes beyond like your standard stand-up uh, formula and adds a lot of this uh, character acting and costuming and a lot of really cool set design. And it's more about telling a story rather than telling just jokes. And it's it's still the same with Latin history for morons that um, not only does he give like a really good abbreviation of what happened to the indigenous indigenous peoples that lived in the Americas before the European uh, uh, Europeans came over, but also it's also a very um, heartwarming tale about him being, having to be a dad to a son that uh, is trying to, uh, get through a school at a very prestigious school, but also still having to deal with racism and bigotry and bullying and also making sure that his son knows that, hey, his history matters just as much as the history they're teaching him in school. So I think it's definitely worth watching. It's uh, hilarious and also very thought-provoking as well. Yeah, that is definitely one show that I really wanted to check out. Um, I kept getting a bunch of like actual um, things. I was just curious to see. Uh, have you seen the new uh, Adam Sandler one? 
No, I hear everybody loves it though. Yeah, because it was almost kind of like a storytelling, especially for I'm um, kind of geared and catered to the people who kind of followed his career. So I was curious to see if it was kind of like that. So that's pretty cool, especially man. Netflix has been pumping out some good stuff. So I'm good on you, and as always, great to see your face. Thank you. Uh, I'll toss it over to my other beautiful best friend. This guy has traveled all over the world, and he is actually talking from the future now, which is going to be very uh, theme-related for this movie. Mr. Mocha, how's it going, man? What you sipping on, and what else have you been watching? What is up, everybody? So happy to be here. A little less happy to be up at this hour. It is currently 3 a.m. in the country of France, where I am reporting from. Uh, I'm out here for a uh, work slash mini vacation trip, um, but you know I'm I'm dedicated to my craft, and so I had to make sure I was here to share my voice with you all. As the Down in Front Podcast resident Marvel scholar, I could not shirk my duties. Um, as for what I've been drinking, I mean, right now, as I mentioned, it's three in the morning. And I just woke up, so I'm drinking water. But I've been drinking in general a bunch of good wine and beer during this trip and uh i sent a little send a sip to the twitter down in front twitter um of a beer that i had which i really enjoyed called uh tete de mule which is basically means uh head of the donkey <laughs> um and it was a uh, a craft micro um a craft amber beer from somewhere out here in france but it was delicious i'm gonna see if i can find get my hands on it when i get back to the states if possible because it tasted really good as for what I've been watching, I've actually had the pleasure of enjoying on Netflix as my before sleep movie during this trip. The show um, nailed it. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this movie or this TV show on Netflix. I've seen Anybody? a couple episodes. It's good. Oh my god! So for the people at home listening who have no idea what it is, Nailed It is a cooking show on original to Netflix where they take amateur bakers. Um, but specifically bakers who are just like not really good at what they do. And they invite them to compete on a cooking show for a prize of $10,000. But the competition is to recreate these really, really elaborate uh, cakes and uh, desserts that are made by, made by like world-renowned uh, French baker Jacques, uh, Jacques something. I can't remember his name. But what winds up happening is they fuck up and they fuck up real bad. And so it really comes comes down to who got closest to the mark with everybody being completely off the board. Um, it is hilarious. Some of the cakes that have been made haunt my nightmares because they are so like, just horrific looking. But every episode is just so, so funny. So if you have time to kill, it's a great way to do that and uh, make yourself feel good with some laughs. Nailed it on Netflix. Right. Again, Netflix is coming through, so that's definitely sound pretty cool. So, as always, thank you so much for kind of being on there, especially for all your travels. Uh, we enjoy you being on our show. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to my other best friend, even better than Brylin, but not as cool as Mocha. Blew it. What's going on, man? Haven't seen you in 16 years. Whoa. What's good? You're looking good, looking dapper. Oh. What you what sipping on and what uh, else have you been watching? Yeah, so I am sipping on foreign objects uh, from Stardust to Thought Form. It's pretty solid. Uh, New England's uh, Hoppy Ale. Um, really enjoying it right now. The can art, it's spectacular. It's pretty much the only reason I buy beer at this point in my life, uh, just based on can art. Um, as for what I've been watching, 
in traditional Mike Blewett form. I haven't been on in a couple weeks, and I've pretty much watched nothing. Uh, I got through a bunch of episodes of Big Mouth. That show is made for me, uh, like, but I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but I love every single moment of it. Um, Big Mouth is one of the best things to come out in a long, long time. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is, um, which ties into the movie that we are going to talk about today. Um, the, and then, uh, what, what's it called? The Great British Bake Off? Yeah, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of that. I don't, I don't know. I just sit in the corner and play guitar, but my girlfriend watches it, so, you know, I've seen it. <laughs> um, Dude, you should make your girlfriend watch Nailed It. She'll get her baking fix, and you will get a really, really entertaining show to laugh at. Yeah, I, I was actually, like, when you were describing it, I was like, man, I probably wouldn't hate that. Because I love seeing ordinary people do, you know, Extraordinary not, things? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do ordinary things. <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> just, yeah, just do regular. They're like, regular people, make some peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> oh, but, I mean, is it... Do you have the strawberry jam or you have the strawberry jelly? I was going to say they put the peanut butter between two uncooked sticks of ramen. That's artisanal. <laughs> I mean, mm, love me those ramen sticks. Is there any other type of u- utensil besides a fork or chopsticks? Spork. Sp- spoon. Knife. Yeah, but those are, those are like, those are like, you know, uh, escargot holder. Um, Your hand. Yeah, that's There's a good salad one. Salad forks. Uh, no, fork. no, no. But those are like Soup spoon. you know, those are like uh, European type fork. things. No, that's American too, son. You no, know, but I, you know, they're all in the same category. If you go to a steakhouse, that's what Fancy. you're gonna get. If you go to a Japanese restaurant, it's like what kind I, of do, a side is this? No, shut, shut I don't know. Man. If you go to a Hawaiian thing, do they just hand you a pineapple and they're like, "All right, eat your food with the pineapple"? It's like, well, what? I'm pretty sure Pee Wee Herman has some sort of Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> to get food in directly into your mouth without <laughs> touching it. Well, Ethiopian restaurants use that nice spongy bread. Ooh, mm, roti and welcome. <laughs> no, we already did that. <laughs> well, Blue, it was always great to see your face. I'm super glad to have you back for a Marvel-esque cinematic yeah. universe yeah. movie. No, it's not MCU. It's Marvel. No, 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 Marvel, not MCU, but uh, Marvel. I'm sorry, I didn't mean the MCU. Actually, it's, a, I mean, it's CBM. Comic it's kind of like Venom, movies. right? It's the same sort of like universe yeah. as Venom, right? Or same? No, it's, no, it's no. definitely not the same universe as no, Venom. No, no, same type not. as Venom. Sorry, it's no, actually like, the Raimi verse. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's technically closer to <laughs> no, freaking Eric Foreman's but, Venom. Spider Man was pulled out of the, the Raimi verse. Raimi verse is just one many many Spider Man verses. <laughs> technically, the MCU universe, uh, Earth 1999-99, exists somewhere else. In uh, like in relation to these, uh, they just didn't get any characters from it. Pull this movie. Yeah, you could t- you could technically have Tom Holland's Spider Man. In fact, I think they had. Oh no! It was something. It was just like the suit kind of looked like the Infinity War suit. Yeah. So before we talk about that, blow it. Yes. Great to have you on. Yes. My name is Warren. I will be the host this evening. I am currently sipping on some Paxis Red Blend. Uh, and just like Blew It, uh, the reason why I chose this wine is look at that dog. Guys, look at that dog. Look at that cute That's dog on nice it. It's a nice dog. Uh, but this red wine is delicious and dangerous. So, uh, yeah. 
pretty sure that uh, this is already empty, but who knows? Uh, what I've been watching is I actually had a finally got a chance to check out this Mowgli, um, the movie that's on Netflix. Also, um, it was directed by man. I always forget this guy's name. Andy Samberg. Andy Serkis. <laughs> Andy, Andy, thank you. Andy Serkis. Uh, and I was very curious about this story because I know that there was like some um, drama between Disney kind of pushing their sort of release date up, just trying to re- release their movie beforehand. I'm not even entirely sure why. This movie looked really good. Um, it was pretty boring, though. Um, and they definitely kind of changed up. Or I guess maybe it was actually tr- closer true to the actual story of The Jungle Book. Obviously, no songs was on this one. Um, but I don't know why they had the need to feel like they had to push it up, like Disney pushing up their movie. I felt like the entire both of these movies were very, very different. Uh, even Baloo as a character, his character design was very different. It was almost like he was um, Rocky, you know, super old and kind of beat up and has scars all over him and stuff like that. It was just kind of just like kind of a bear. So um, I was curious about like seeing that. But, you know, this movie is actually on Netflix. I'll be curious to see if you guys actually like it. I enjoyed at least some of it, but um, I really just felt like, man, it was just one kid acting on a green screen. And I, I would hope that it felt like it is, but I think that they actually had like uh, motion captured on um, people that were there. I, I really mean, want to hear Baloo saying... Like, uh, you can't fight Bajira, kid. He's got nothing to lose. <laughs> Ogly, you got, uh, you know, you got to hold your hand up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> was that a Rocky impersonation? Yeah, that was my Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, it's not bad. You know, what I will do is I'm going to go ahead and raise my glass for our send a sip sort of segment, which we go do a, a couple different shout outs. And we want to make sure that we go ahead and honor the people that we do have and says, you know what? Thank you for what you do. I'm going to toss it over to Mocha for the first send a sip. Who you got, Mocha? Yeah, I'm going to send my sip directly to the people of France. All the Frenchies out there. What up? Um, I have a blast every time I come out here. Um, before I come into France, most of my friends who had visited this country uh, had nothing but bad things to say about the people being rude and all this stuff. And honestly, now that I've spent some time here, I'm 100% confident that all of them were just being really shitty tourists because the people here are super warm and friendly as long as you don't fuck with their day, uh, just like my fellow New Yorkers are. So I feel like we get along in that way. Um, but yeah, so then uh, send the sip out to uh, all my Frenchies out there. Shante. Thank you, Frenchies. Uh, Brylin, who are you sending your sip to tonight? Uh, I'm going to send my sip out to Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie. They, a couple weeks ago, they took some time out of the new film they're uh, shooting uh, to do a PSA for social media about the evil of video interpolation, also known as motion smoothing on big screen TVs and everything. And also, that's awesome that a high profile star like Tom Cruise took the time out of his busy schedule of trying death defying stunts to uh, actually let people know this is something you should turn off your TV automatically. You do not need this. Why is it in there? It shouldn't exist. So thank you, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie for being on the right side of being anti video interpretation. <laughs> it's a terrible piece of technology that should never exist. So thank you. Does anybody have one of those TVs? All TVs come with it. And a lot of TVs come out with default on. How do I I turn that off? Or I don't even know if that's on. It's It's usually called either motion smoothing or action smoothing or video 
interpolation. Um, I know on my new TV I got that I love and everything, I actually have to turn it off per thing I watch, which is a little annoying. Oh, that's obnoxious. Wait, so if you change the channel, it turns back on? What it does, it tries to be smart about it. It says, oh, what are you watching? Oh, you're watching a sports thing. You should have video interpolation on. No, I don't want it on at all. It's called the Glenn Howerton of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and AP Biofame has also been a very big activist in the anti-interpolation, uh, anti-anti-interpolation? Anti-interpolation uh, realm. So, uh, yeah, shout out to everyone who's speaking the truth about that because you're right, Brian, it is just the worst. Yeah. Now I'm scared that that's been on my TV and I didn't even notice. I probably mm. wouldn't have noticed. Educate yourself. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I don't I don't see that kind of feature on. I'll send you a photo after. But uh, I am going to go next, and I'm going to go ahead and raise my glass to a guy whose birthday it just was, turning 36 this year, 36 years young, Mr. Blewett. Happy birthday, my friend. Uh, you look great, man. How you feel? Dude, I feel like a rough 45. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only turned 37, but like, ooh, it's bad. Mm-hmm. When did well, you, you guys me. start wearing Depends? I know you're all in your late <laughs> 50s, and so... Uh, 18 take, years old? <laughs> it just I makes take, sense. I take fiber supplements. <laughs> but, but not there at Depends level age yet. <laughs> no Depends here, man. You just got to embrace the waist. <laughs> <Let it flow. laughs> and uh, Blue, who are you sending your sip to tonight? Wilson from Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good volleyball. <laughs> okay cool so uh i'm super pumped i'm super excited we are going to talk about this movie in detail so if you have not seen spider-man into the spider-verse what are you doing this movie is great you definitely want to make sure you either take your family i think it's a great date movie it's a great uh, kids movie but it also has a lot of good messages it's a great date even kids uh, movie yes i don't know about that um but also, it has some a lot of new technology that hasn't really been seen too much on sort of this sort of platform just yet. So definitely go check this out. We are in our spoiler section, so we're going to go and take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to be talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse full spoiler section. And we will see you in a moment. back and we are the down to front podcast we are giving you a full feature spoiler section review of spider-man into the spider-verse so if you have not seen the movie we're in our spoiler section please you definitely want to go see this you do not want to be actually spoiled for this we're going to break this um, actual review up in a couple different sections we're going to talk about the acting and actually the little of the voiceovers because it's an animated movie uh, we're going to talk about the animation quality and we're also going to talk about the character design and then we're going to end it off just talk about the overall or- origin story
story in the future of comic books, movies, as we kind of see fit, because this is a bit newer. We actually haven't seen something to this particular caliber before. So I definitely want to talk about some of the things that's a little bit different. I'm going to toss it over to Brylan to uh, kick us off and says, Brylan, what do you got for acting in the voiceover? Uh, yeah, so I would say with uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, um, they assembled a great voice acting cast all around to make these characters come to life. Um, it starts off with Shameik Moore as Miles uh, Morales, and he. I like that they spend, I mean, that they make this Miles story, that they make him relatable and they make him really uh, cool and fun, a really cool young kid, but it's also very different from Peter Parker's journey that we've seen, that it is a new twist on what it is to be Spider-Man, but also what it is to be a teenage kid growing up uh, in Brooklyn, where he does. And I like that um, they are able to bring enough nuance and um, just character to uh, the Miles character because of that. And it's also, I hope that uh, a lot of generations see this and say, like, this Spider-Man's cool that haven't been exposed to Peter Parker because it's going to be something where we can have a lot of diversity in what Spider-Man means to a lot of people. Um, other than that, I think like the other big standout is um, probably one of the greatest actors working right now that I don't know if we even deserve his talent, which is Mahershala Ali. Uh, him as Uncle Aaron is fantastic. Um, he uh, plays Uncle Aaron to a T, like giving him, giving uh, Miles like really great advice, like. Or maybe not great advice on like talking to girls, but he's being that doting uncle, that cool uncle, uh, really well. But we also get to see that uh, Uncle Aaron, he's not on the right side of the tracks. He's working for Kingpin as the Prowler. Um, and it's a really good uh, juxtaposition to his brother, Jeff, uh, who's played by Brian Tyree Henry. Um, who does a fantastic job as well of this, like, uh, he wants just the best for his son, Miles, uh, and that's why he's kind of um, over-parenting at times, but also um, not quite sure how to uh, connect to Miles, which I think is a really important message to uh, have when it comes to a family, is that when kids start getting into uh, the years where they start to formulate what does it mean to be themselves as people and start to claim uh, their independence, that um, that Brian Ty Tyree Henry does a great job of having that relationship with Miles to, uh, to try to grow away from being that helicopter parent uh, that's always trying to want the best for him and, and ultimately allowing Miles to choose what's best for him as well. And yeah, that's a good call out. I really like um, Brian uh, Tyree uh, as a, just an actor in general. I don't think that he actually gets a good amount of work that's uh, a positive role. I mean, you know, he's actually was famous for Atlanta. And, you know, I've seen him in Widows and I've seen him in Hotel Artemis, right? And it definitely felt like he's been doing a bit of a one note, right? He's plays the stereotypical gangster or rapper, right? And just because of his look, I guess. Um, so it's nice to see and hear his voice in a completely different character who cares a ton for his son, but still has some comedic bits to it. Um, even when he kind of dropped Miles off uh, to, you know, make sure that he's telling I love you in front of him. Everybody clearly yeah. wants to embarrass him, but it's still very funny and endearing because that's, that's definitely not the first. Yeah, that's not the first time that has happened. So that's also kind of great. Um, so I, I, I'm glad that we can actually hear his voice in a in a 
uh, a more of a nurturing and kind of a loving character. I was really glad that he kind of broke out of that bit of a mold, and that was pretty cool to see him in, or hear him in at least. Yeah. Uh, Mocha, what you got? Mm. Yeah, this movie was <clears throat> fantastic through and through in terms of its casting uh, for the voice actors. Um, every single character had a voice actor that perfectly encapsulated the weirdness and uh, the uniqueness of what that one was bringing to the table. Um, big, big shout out to one of my favorite comedians of all time, John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. His ridiculous voice was perfect for a character that came out of a cartoon world. And if you had asked me who to cast as Spider-Ham, I would have screwed that up. I would have not known where to go. But man, was John Mulaney perfect for it. <laughs> Such a um, role. It really was the perfect match for his voice. Like I, I, I think you could probably have had anyone else in there and probably had a good time with it. But like that, just nerd, you know, like that uh, wimpy voice. He's got a wimpy voice. It's the exact opposite of a superhero. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the funny thing about it is that he didn't really change his voice for the role. Which I think actually lines up perfectly with his uh, stand-up comedy. Because <laughs> if you ever listen to his stand-up comedy, he loves to self-deprecate about uh, how much of a nothing person he is. And uh, somehow it rolled into this this role really well. But um, but even beyond John Mulaney, I mean, when he told me that when I first heard that Nicolas Cage was going to play the voice of Spider-Man Noir, I was like, okay, I can see that working, but I don't know how. And then, uh, you know, it turned out to work out perfectly. His, like, Humphrey Bogart... Uh, style like 1930s voice was just on point and it was just so funny and I feel like uh, you know with with voice acting it's really difficult because yeah the 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 animators are going to have the models act in terms of like moving their limbs around on screen physically but you really need to be able to get into the character to have that voice and that personality pop and have it sound like something like a, the character on screen, even if it is just a similar version of your voice. Um, so I was really impressed with uh, with how I went through uh, how I went through for all these characters. Also, um, the Spider-Man from the uh, Tobey Maguire verse, uh, who I like, I have affectionately called Depression Depression Parker. He, <laughs> first of all, is my favorite Spider-Man of all time. Now, like depressed Spider-Man means a lot to me, and I'm so <laughs> glad that. As an adult Spider-Man fan, I was able. To, I was finally given a, spy, a version of Spider-Man that perfectly meets me uh, where I am today. <laughs> but um, the the voice actor, uh, the guy who plays Nick from New Girl, what's his name? Uh, Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of people were really hesitant about him when he was cast. Um, I know, like maybe there were even some voices in this room that that felt that way. But I was uh, excited for it from the get-go, and he delivered. I really think that he uh, he fully grasped the character. And brought a lot of like pathos and comedy and uh, like heartwarmingness to his role as uh, the Tobey Maguire versus Peter Parker. Yeah, I mean, I was one of those that I was kind of skeptical about how well he would do as Peter Parker because um, I just know him as Nick Miller from uh, New Girl, and he's always like this weird, goofy, self-deprecating character on that show. Uh, but he definitely uh, does better than I expected. There are some Nick Miller moments in this. Uh, like some, there's a point where I felt like he's going to get the, all the Spider Gang and like say, "Let's play True American" or something like that. Um, but um, he does a really good job, and especially like those moments where 
those moments he has with uh, Miles are really good. So if it's whether it's teaching him how to web swing or just reminding him that for your powers to work for you, it's all about that leap of faith. And I think that was a really good uh, message to uh, <clears throat> send because, I mean, it's definitely established that even though Peter Parker has these powers that he was uh, given on accident, that uh, he has to actually have a belief in himself in order to ma- actually make the powers manifest and work. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Jake Johnson also because I find him in, you know, I actually don't watch New Girl, but I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff. Um, and he's actually, oddly enough, in a lot of different, um, like, small rom-coms and, like, smaller movies, like, on the side. Um, but I like his kind of wit and especially that he used, especially for the fact that he has a character that's been through the shit. And I think that's the only character that we've seen um, in this movie that has like dealt with some, a, a lot of different loss and especially everybody's basically calling him fat in the nicest way possible. I thought was hilarious. Um, so it, it was nice for him to kind of come back, especially like his character arc um, was the fact that, you know, his base, his life kind of went to shit because he didn't really want kids and he kind of got bored. Uh, and he, like, hated kids. And now he's kind of hanging out with Miles Morales and kind of have that affinity for it again. So I thought that was a really cool way to kind of share share somebody else who's already kind of passed his prime, come back and show that he actually, I don't know, it's between him and Gwen Stacy was the better Spider-Man or woman or better superhero, there we go, in the movie. Um, so maybe Miles Morales at the end, but we'll see. It's funny you can't even say Spider Person because that that uh, that erases Spider Ham. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I was like, ah, superhero. There we go. Superhero kind of encompasses everybody. So, Warren, quick note. Uh, I feel like the funny guy from the New Girl is like the perfect person for rom coms. Like that was the least surprising thing I've heard. It's just the the funny pudgy guy from the New Girl is in rom coms. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, he was also perfect. Like he was endearing. Uh, like. You could, you know, as the audience, we're supposed to be in Miles Morales' shoes and kind of discover that whole, you know, uh, arc on our own. Um, and he was that perfect mix of like trying to do good, but also keeping himself distant at the same time and also being better than you. Um, that it came off like really, really well. Yeah. Also, um, he perfectly encapsulated to. The um, the personality of what Spider-Man is from an original perspective, which is somebody who, even in the darkest of times, is going to be throwing out witty banter uh, to lift spirits almost because like he can't help it with his own uh, verbal diarrhea. And it, it showed this character like he was super depressed and super out of it, but he was still making jokes. And it wasn't because he was in a positive state. It was just kind of because like, that's who he is as Spider-Man where even at, where things are at his worst, he finds some sort of funny one liner, uh, to get out there just to be uh, witty and clever. And, uh, and to be able to uh, pull that off without sounding just kind of like, without it sounding forced and having it sound really natural and, uh, like coming from his heart. I don't know. It, I think it, it, I think he did a really, really good, good job with the character. And, uh, you could hear it in his voice too, as he regained more confidence in himself through, uh, uh throughout the movie as he had different realizations, like when he uh, when he saves uh, Miles in the forest, and is like, "Oh, you did it, buddy! I'm so proud of you!" And he's like, "Oh my god, do I want kids?" <laughs> <laughs> but even to like the scenes where he was like, he was really sad, like that moment where the uh, where he jumped Miles and attacked him in his bedroom, and so, kind of forced him to say, "Like, use your powers right now, or you're not going to join us in this this final battle." Like it sounded, he sounded like his heart was breaking the entire time, but he also sounded like somebody who knew that 
if he didn't do it in that moment, then he was going to die like his universe's Gwen Stacy did. Um, so, so yeah, I thought that he actually brought a lot to the role, and I was I was really happy that he delivered. Um, also, speaking of Gwen Stacy, uh, big shout out to her and her character. Um, her voice actress was Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, and she was like Gwen was awesome, man. She was the perfect, uh, like the perfect ideal Spider-Man in this particular ensemble. Like uh, she was the Spider person that was, I think, the most effective at her job um, because essentially she's like she's the Peter Parker that we knew at his at his prime, right? She experienced the same kind of losses that he did. Uh, of course, in her dimension, it was Peter who died in uh, in, in the fight against the Green Goblin, not not herself. Um, but yeah, she's in her prime and she is her, she knows what she's doing and is completely confident in her actions as a spider person, but also in her just being a person dealing with miles. And it was nice seeing their little burgeoning, um, uh, relationship. I don't even want to say it in a, in like a sexual way or like a, a relationship way. They just clearly have a bond that came out of this movie that I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't, was revisited again. Um, and I thought she was a great foil to miles who was, you know, bumbling and learning to use his powers and at the most amateur state of all of them uh, with her being at the, at the pinnacle. Yeah, I mean, huge shout out to her because she's also, um, Haley Steinfeld is in um, Bumblebee movie and that came out, I think, the same weekend. So I'm like, damn, she was definitely cranking out a lot of work at the same time. Um, so big ups to her. I like I like her voice actor. I, I, I like her voice, voice character that she actually used for that. And again, like you were talking about Mocha, I was also getting this sense, but I think they were also solidified near the end when they were doing high fives. And I think it was more like a friendship and the fact that they actually have friends. Um, that was another big thing that I think they were being a super literal on literal of, hey, this is not like a relation, um, a romantic sort of friendship. This is something a little bit more platonic. So um, hopefully you know, it doesn't cross the line, but they're both young, so it easily can, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I guess we can I can get into this more later. But the that notion of finding friends and finding people in other universes that are like them, like that line that keeps coming up in the movie, like you're like me. I think had a lot of uh, was a really strong line to use throughout this film because, you know, you never think about the fact that being a superhero is actually a really can be a really lonely thing, even within a universe where you have like the Avengers and other superheroes like people aren't like none of those superheroes experience what uh, Peter Parker experiences, which is being like a struggling like up and comer who's trying to take care of his like aging family um, and pay his rent while also trying to save the world and like manage his relationships. And I feel like for Peter, like for Spider-Man's character and like as a unique option within the Marvel universe, uh, it's a very lonely, lonely character, uh, which comes up into why he's so like, like witty, you know, like using jokes to kind of stave off the pain or stay, keep people at, at bay. And I think that it was a really, really simple and subtle technique to have them have this recurring line of like, you're like me throughout this movie and showing that uh that sort of bond that they could that they could form that way well mocha it's it's purely age you know it's literally like um everyone else in the avengers the x-men fantastic four they're all older and so even if they have similar powers um there's still not that connection and so peter parker literally is alone in high school like he's and no one around him can know, you know, at least uh, the other heroes have people that they can entrust in and talk about like what they're going through, um, where he has to kind of bottle that up uh, and not share to anyone. Uh, so you're right. It's, it's a lonely thing. I was going to say this earlier that like um, not to get too heavy, but one of the one of the 
you know, kind of deflection tactics people with like depression have is just making comedy out of everything and not taking things seriously. And so that is definitely a, um, you know, having those quips echo throughout both Miles Morales, um, and where he's like trying to like deflect away from everything. And then Peter Parker B, um, it makes sense, you know, it makes sense that Mr. B. Parker uh, ended up living by himself in a terrible little apartment in, in New York um, and who still is a funny person because he's trying to just hide everything else that's going on with his life. Yeah, a fun uh, little, I don't even know if this would be an Easter egg or if it was really intentional on the uh, the, the writer's parts, but um, for Miles' Miles's character too in the comics, that line, uh, you're like me, is has a completely different context because um, in the comics, uh, his uncle, the man who uh, who is the prowler, is an asshole. He's not a good influence. He's not a good guy. He is very much a villain, and he like uses Miles as he's learning how to use his powers uh, to like to help him like do like robberies and do bad things. And ultimately, it leads to a clash between them where uh, he dies during that the, his fight with Miles. And the last thing he says to um, to Miles before he dies is, "You're like me," trying to tell him that like you're not a superhero. You're like you come from a family of villains. Your dad was a was a criminal before he became a cop. I'm a criminal. You're just like us. And that that motif of like Miles trying to make sure that he's using his powers to be a good person and not just be a like a generational criminal is something that runs through his entire comic book series. So uh, seeing it kind of flipped in the movies where it was like a positive thing and it was something that was, uh, you know, helping to build him up and build the others up around them was just really, really cool to see. That's a pretty deep moment. Um, I didn't even think about that. And I like that, you know, the message going throughout the entire movie was the fact that you're not alone, Um, which I thought was also really cool. And I think there was a good amount of kind of music that was also kind of influenced with that because going to to a new school automatically kind of randomly and where you know you can clearly see that miles is walking out of his house and he clearly knows everybody to go to a school that nobody knows him and the only person that actually paid attention to him slightly and kind of chuckled and laughed at his joke was somebody like him and that goes that kind of holds weight so i really like the message that they were kind of sending off from um, that particular kind of character uh blew it what else you got for voice acting, honestly, you guys covered most of it. I thought it was very, very well voice acted. Um, I don't think that it was necessarily the highlight of this movie, though. Uh, the other topics we're going to cover, uh, they're definitely outshone the vo- voice acting. But it wasn't bad. Yeah. I would just mention uh, on other uh, characters, like the lesser-known uh, Spider-People from the other Spider-Verses, I appreciated that the char- the actors uh, really took... Uh, took strides into kind of embodying those characters and making sure that they kind of are seeing Miguel's or not Miguel, um, <laughs> Miles's uh, New York as uh, Miles's New York in like kind of their eyes. So like Spider-Man Noir played by Nick Cage. Uh, Nick Cage does a great job of just being like, I live in a black and white world in the 30s. And so when he sees a Rubik's Cube, he's like, what color is this, purple? <laughs> or is it light blue? It's like, that is that is uh, very funny, just like psych gags and like ob- observational humor. And also um, when um, 
when Spider-Ham is on the screen, there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. So he, he says, that's all, folks. And everybody's like, is he allowed to say that? <laughs> so good. That's such a good, such a good moment. I think one yeah. of the fun, like even one of the funniest about the spider ham uh, was when he he's like, "Hey, hold on to my hammer; it'll fit right in your pocket." I was, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was like, "Is is it really that funny?" I think it is. This is great. Oh, yeah, man, it so was. good. Yeah, and, and, and even uh, Penny Parker being just straight up diva from Overwatch and um, <laughs> just a very anime styled character was a lot of fun. And just having that nice emotional mo- moment with her pet spider was really good as well. I thought. Um, I um, I also want to just give a big shout out for uh, Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara. Uh, this means so much to me just because uh, Spider-Man was one of the comics I first started reading. And when it got to the 90s, especially like mid to late 90s, uh, Spider-Man was kind of a boring character. Peter Parker got kind of boring. And, and like the only thing that was keeping Spider-Man alive were his villains. That's when you got like Venom and Carnage and everybody was on board for these very visually exciting villains. And so when they announced the 2099 universe, uh, Miguel O'Hara became kind of like my fan favorite Spider-Man just because he was very different. His powers were just different enough. Um, and uh, like I liked how his costume was like modeled after a Day of the Dead um, costume that he wore before. Uh, for a celebration just because he's of Mexican heritage. And so when I saw that little uh, card cue just say Nueva York, I got mad excited. And then the uh, scientist saying, okay, Miguel, so this transdimensional uh, bracelet will take you to the next place you want to go. Where do you want to go? And he goes, to the beginning. And (laughs) it takes him right to the 1967 Spider-Man cartoon. And they add on to it to make it so hilarious that they took a meme of Spider-Man pointing at himself and made this great comedic routine out of it, which was fantastic. I loved every moment of that. So great job by Oscar Isaac on doing that. Also, uh, uh, from the voice acting side, shout out to uh, the original voice of the 1967 Spider-Man being uh, being brought back to record those goofy lines for the, uh, the end of film uh, uh, thing. It was a, that was a really nice, nice uh, addition, and I did not actually even know that it was for sure him until afterwards, and I looked it up because uh, I was like, "Oh, they just got somebody who sounds like that guy." No way is he still alive, but uh, but yeah, it was the original 1967 Spider-Man. I thought nice. you were gonna say congratulations on still being alive. I was like, "Wow, that's." <laughs> I mean, that too. <laughs> yeah, um, I I also want to say like. Um, I guess from now on, I'm just going to cry at every single Stanley cameo that happens. Um, yeah. Just when he just appears on screen, if it's animated or real life, I'm just like tears. Uh, it's, it's good to see him. I like what he said in the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, Stan forever. I should get a tattoo that says that. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> no, <nah>, not really. <laughs> no, nah, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Or Mimsy, either one. Hey, <laughs> I'll say you this. Can, you can do that. One more point about the uh, voice acting, just a little like nod. Um, there were a couple voices that I did not notice when I was uh, in the film. Um, one of them was the fact that the uh, the Spider-Man, the Peter Parker from Miles Morales' universe, um, was played by another, none other than Chris Pine, uh, which I did not. Have blue eyes. 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that, uh, which is awesome. I'm so, I, I enjoyed his voice uh, as that Spider-Man. Um, but also, and this one I don't think it was would have been possible to tell because his voice is pretty, his lines are pretty much just like snarls and screams. But the Green Goblin was played by Jorma Tacombe of uh, of Lonely Island fame. So uh, <laughs> if you've enjoyed any songs like Jizz in My Pants uh, or I'm on a Boat, uh, half of that team was the Green Goblin in this movie. A third. <laughs> I love, I love how that jizz in my pants is the first song that you think of. Not dick in the box, not any of the other ones, but jizz in my pants is the first one. <laughs> That's such a great song. I fucking love that song. Oh, man. But um, when it when it comes to the um the characters, like one one thing that I just wish was like a nerdy um, it's just more of a nerdy wish I had like. They did a unique thing with Aunt May in this movie where um, she was kind of like an Alfred to this uh, this mm. uh, universe's Peter Parker. That's like some of you haven't seen Aunt May be. Usually she's the um, none the wiser, just doting aunt that is always looking after Peter and giving him wisdom of life and um, that she may or may not uh, admit that she knows that Peter is Spider-Man. But this Aunt May is like, yeah, I know he's Spider-Man. I know everybody's come over and said... And given their uh, condolences for his loss and everything, and then uh, they basically we find out this Peter Parker had a bat cave, and he has all this high tech shit going down in the basement of his uh, little queen's apartment, uh, and um, and it's uh, it, I I don't know how I felt about that. I just thought it was kind of a different take. I don't know if I enjoyed it, uh, but I also thought it'd been pretty cool if. Uh, for any reason that this Aunt May turned out to be Madam Web, and that she was kind Ooh. of uh, playing a role in like how these universes were colliding, so uh, I thought that would have been pretty cool. We're definitely. I think we're if we if we get another into the Spider Verse movie, we're definitely going to get some kind of Madam Web character. Oh, also, yeah. Aunt May in this movie was played by Lily Tomlin. Yeah, that's the legend cool. herself. I really like that. You know, going off of that point, Brylin, like. I like seeing something a little bit different, and I know we're going to talk a bit about story a little bit later on, but the fact that it may actually is a character that actually does something in the story, I've, I, I know I don't watch, I don't, excuse me, I don't read the comics, so I'm only going off of what I've seen of movies and animated stuff too. I have not seen anywhere it may have any more any less to do like she's basically have done nothing in all the years i've seen of aunt may's even the one that we have of the marvel cinematic universe that was the most line she has she still doesn't have anything to do there um so i'm, I'm i like that they uh, did a bit of a spin on it and i like the fact that they can have like a rally sort of bat cave sort of moment of all you know spider-man basically through the years to have all these other different sort of suits and have them have uh, have an area which they can always be like look at each other like oh 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 so I, I i like that area i like that moment itself especially how aware um aunt may was So we're looking good on the actual characters in the voice. So I'm, I'm curious to kind of get some more notes and let's talk about more of the animation quality and the kind of character design. Um, so uh, I'll toss it over to Mocha, kind of starting first, and talk to me about the animation and then the character designs for uh, what we have here. Man, the uh, the character design was just super, super impressive and imaginative. Um, you know, when it comes to the uh, the spider folk, the designs are already there. We have them from the comics that we can refer to. Um, 
so that in and of itself isn't uh, prop for the movie. But when you take those characters from their comics, put them into a movie, and then animate each one uh, differently according to whatever the specifics of their universe were. So uh, having uh, you know Spider-Man Noir look like a, more of like a black and white, kind of like his cape's always moving in the wind. Having um, Penny Parker literally be a, a drawn and animated like she's a uh, like from within an anime. Um, having Spider Ham look like he is was drawn in an old Looney Tunes cartoon, uh, like the designs were just nuts, and having all of those individual, like completely different animation styles on screen at the same time interacting with each other, was just visionary and really really helped with uh, with driving home how special this movie was from a visual standpoint. Um, but beyond the Spider char- characters. I really appreciated all the new designs for the villains in this movie. Um, you know, for those who aren't too into the comics, the the Miles Morales in this movie, his universe, it, the villains weren't the same as the ones that are that he has to face in his in the Ultimate Universe in the comics. The Green Goblin was somewhat similar, but he's not as big of a hulking character, and I don't believe he flies on his own volition, if I remember correctly. But like the design for um, for that Green Goblin, the design for the Scorpion, where he. Uh, Sort of had this uh, like quadruped, uh, like robot thing going on. Um, the it's design for, like a reaver. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I definitely like a reaver look. Um, the design, which I was absolutely in love with for uh, Olivia Octopus, um, <laughs> was amazing. Was absolutely amazing. Or Octavia, sorry, Olivia Octavius. Doc <laughs> Ock. <laughs> I'm strictly going by uh, Olivia Octopus personally. From now on. <laughs> But no, her her character design was fantastic, and I loved the reveal of who she was. Um, she was super, super intimidating as a fighter and a, comp- a competent, um, and also uh, had a lot of personality as just being, you know, that stereotypical scientist who was completely preoccupied with uh, learning and discovering new things, but also coldly detached from uh, her specimens and what she what it might be like, what they might be experiencing. Um, I thought she was great, and I was so glad that she was the sort of like secondary big bad uh, for this movie. But even when you look at Wilson Fisk, you know, Wilson Fisk is a hard character to innovate on. He's just a big dude in a suit with a bald head. But they kind of took it to a cartoony extreme by having his head be in the center of an extremely hulking like shoulder body. Like, like it looked completely like physically impossible. But uh, it and it kind of threw me off at first, but it worked. And whenever you see him, like in his fights against Miles, it's almost like, you know, his flo- his head is floating because so much of his body takes up the, sc- the the vision of the screen, and it creates this sense of like of a really really imposing character, um, no matter wh- when you view him. And I just thought it was uh, just really really well done. There was so much attention to detail and so much care in the design of these characters. I thought that uh, Kingpin kind of looked like if grew from, uh, what's that? The minions? What's the, the actual thing? Uh, yeah. Let himself go. Uh, like he, <laughs> the, I, I, I like the character the design. It, it was definitely a little bit more to the comic book accurate that he's just this huge individual. Um, but yeah, I could not get Steve Carell's dumb voice out of my head. Wait, Steve Carell? He, yeah, because he's oh, rude, but he's yeah, not. Yeah, I was like, I was yeah no, no. Liv, Liv Shriver in this movie, but yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't notice that either. I didn't recognize Lee Shriver's voice in it. It makes sense because he was on SNL last week or like two weeks ago. Maybe it was for the, the, the run-up to this. But um, but yeah, man, the character design was just on point.
point, and it was it was really cool to experience. Uh, Brylon, what you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna double down on that because yeah, the uh, design of the characters plus the design of the world and everything was uh, brilliantly executed. Uh, it was a nice marriage of. Uh, some modern CG animation, but also using some traditional 2D effects to paint over uh, all these 3D models, Uh, especially like every single frame of this movie, you see like kind of like that traditional comic book like pixelation uh, to the screen, which I thought was fantastic. And it's uh, really cool that, um, that they keep that consistent, that they're actually just paying homage to uh, that this is a comic book, and it's like one of the uh, first movies that kind of smoothly gel like the comic book feel and a moving picture really well. So I thought that was done uh, uh, expertly. So uh, I really love that. Uh, again, yeah, the villain model, uh, the villain designs like with Doc Ock and Scorpion were really cool. Um, I also thought. Uh, the, uh, it was really cool to see uh, how much the uh, music actually uh, played in this uh, movie. So I liked how Miles, uh, to relax, he would sing these songs to himself. And like he, I love how his opening, where uh, he was putting on his headphones, and just go, ooh, 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 you know, just singing to himself to get in the groove and stuff. And then when he has to unstick, he's just like saying, what do you do to relax? And he just starts singing. Ooh. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> such a good moment. start releasing and stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, it's also like uh, the soundtrack was a lot of fun and entertaining. I loved like all the music that they had in this. Uh, and uh, even though it wouldn't be music I would listen to all the time, it's uh, what the young kids would say. It slaps. So... <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, and I've already already seen like a lot of people saying like this is one of the better soundtracks of this year. So, right up there with the Black Panther soundtrack. So, uh, kudos to them for putting that together. That was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, even though like the villains were a little bit one note, I think it works that because this is Miguel's story. Um, that it's more about Miles. His- oh, my God. <laughs> it's not Miguel. The second God, time. Man. All right, so can we make sure the the sequel stars Miguel O'Hara so I can get this right? <laughs> we will not. Yeah, since this, uh, this is uh, Miles' story uh, for the most part and just his journey of becoming Spider-Man. Um, the villains were pretty one-note, but um, it was really cool. They did take at least some time for Kingpin, who is the main villain, to just like say what were his intentions with the Super Collider. We see that's about his son and Vanessa, and it's good to see like, hey, um, they want to they want to actually say like, yeah, this is Kingpin. He's actually more than just brute force. He's also a smart, complex character. Even though they don't embellish into it, hey, they don't have as much time as the Daredevil series has. Uh, and so it was uh, really cool that they at least put that plot point in there for um, for the kingpin. Um, I don't know if all the villains were one note though. I I, I think Doc Ock was pretty interesting, and um, I like at least what Kingpin was trying to do, especially because Daredevil just ended. It was inter- it was cool to see that back to back in two different types of Vanessas. Uh, but the other sort of, and also Aaron, um, 
uh, Uncle yeah, Aaron, Aaron being him. He he was a little bit more kind of layered, but I know that the uh, Scorpion dude, yeah. And then the other one that I don't even think he they even showed his name, but I'm sure you guys would know his name. They didn't even introduce him. But, Tombstone. Oh, Tombstone. Oh, okay. That's. I, was, uh, yeah, I, like, he looks and, uh, I thought it was I Mr. Negative the, for a second. Uh, mm. It's not him. Um, Tombstone is really cool because the voice actor for him, um, he could play Tombstone in real life. He's this big hulking dude, and he's actually albino, so um, he would actually play be a, a good Tombstone for a live-action movie as well. Is that racist? No, it's not, because it's a it's a pigment thing, you know? <laughs> Albinism is not a race thing. <laughs> no, it's a medical <laughs> condition. <laughs> All right, just want to make sure. Just want to make be. sure. It could be. Um, <laughs> I the only thing I will kind of uh, kind of mention about um, some of the character design was the fact that you know I didn't see this movie uh, I didn't see this trailer excuse me I saw this movie I didn't see this trailer uh, like but... an hour and a half in <laughs> you're just like oh, hey, I didn't way. see it just moderating <laughs> oh hey by the way um, I didn't see the trailer at all so I tried also not to see really anything else the only thing I did see was because of Venom um, which was actually. N- I was getting really scared that the stinger that we get into the end of the Venom, so spoiler for Venom, but the stinger that we get at the end of that movie uh, is basically a snippet from this movie. So they're kind of doing what uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was doing, just you know, taking sections di- directly from it. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that it, uh, it felt like these characters had way more personality Um we see Miles, and he keeps saying that oh, it's a choice. It's a choice. The fact that he has his sneakers untied, and he's wearing like these original Jordans that is like one of the rare, rarest Jordans ever. It's number ones, Jordan and it's also in black. Huh? I don't know. I don't it know was, the numbers. It was number one. Uh, but he's wearing like the most like rare Jordans, especially because it was also the black and red color scheme. And at one point, he goes into we, that's where we get the cameo from. Uh, Stanley, he's buying this cheapo, like sort of Spider-Man suit, and he has these kind of shorts that are kind of cut off, and his socks are, and his shoes are untied, and so that's like that character design of Miles Morales, or is it Moreno? Uh, Miles Morales as like an actual uh, character, and I thought that was like absolutely like it's a it was stunning to see that new character design. Like all the other times we've seen Spider-Man and. Uh, just m- maybe even street clothes sometimes like with the full suit and like no mask i've never seen him like dressed down in that sort of street wear um so i like how they was really injecting a lot of uh fashion and a lot of personality especially with the jays that really kind of threw me off because i didn't realize i was going to see that and then opposite him you had the uh sad peter parker and he had half of a co- uh, half of the spider-man but he had sweatpants and i thought that was hilarious because he was kicking <laughs> ass in sweatpants and that was so funny that when they finally uh, were fighting, you know, Doc Ock and they were stealing the computer, uh, he's like running away in straight sweatpants and he's like in uh, basically cut off jean, jean shorts and the uh, cheapo sport of Spider Man thing. I just thought it was phenomenal. I'd never really seen um, that type of style fashion yet. It was still a bit com- comedic. Uh, I don't think it would have translated well in a live action. Like, I don't think anybody yeah. would have gotten it. It wouldn't have been as. Um, impactful especially with the colors that they used then we have it in animation so for that really stuck with me especially when he spray paints the suit that also color like really really stuck with me a lot um and i'm glad they actually did it i'm glad they kind of made them those choices too because i mean everything about uh, everything about new york 
for me screams pizza and Jordans. Uh, bagels. In, in, in traffic. No, and now. Tim's. Yeah, bagels. but it's no, people still wear like people wear Tim's here and there, but people wear Jordans way more than they wear Tim's. And especially to the fact that Jordans are way more rare than Tim's, too. And they, they, no, no. Uh, anyway, no, the sneakerhead culture is real out here. Yeah, so it's like it blew me away that I was like, oh my gosh, like that. That really feels like, and I'm not, obviously, I'm not from New York City. I'm from upstate, but I'm still, like, went there a good amount. Like, that felt definitely kind of felt like um, they got it right that I've never seen before in a Spider-Man film, ever. Um, even in the, like, even in the animated, even in some of the comics that I read and uh, just things like that. Like, it just, it just felt right, and it felt that it fit perfectly with Miles Morales' character. Um, especially him sort of spray painting. I was really nervous about the spray painting, the vandalism, and if that was going to come back. Um, so I like that. It was a bit of an aside. Um, but I also like the fact that, um, you know, the homework that they give him was this great expectations. So I thought was really funny. Uh, mm. So uh, I, I, I like that design of it. I like a lot of the color schemes they tend to use really, really chose and really popped, especially with the, some of the colors that the costumes that they used. Yeah, you definitely knew they were in Brooklyn because their uncle Aaron was bumping Biggie. <laughs> I thought it was because of the rats, but yeah. Okay. Well, wow. wow, this from Boston. You're really gonna talk about rats in Boston? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not from here. I told you, I'm from the country in upstate New York. You're in Boston. <laughs> no, I yeah. think so. Austin's got like weasel-sized rats, but New York's got like cat-sized rats. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both large rats. Yeah, well, we need something to we need something to eat our rat-sized cockroaches. <laughs> and gators in the sewer. <laughs> You're not wrong. This just works on like near Australia level animal, you know, hierarchies. <laughs> um, Warren, you're definitely right. I don't think this movie could be made as a live-action film. Like straight yeah. up, the the design behind it. Uh, allowed them to non-ironically switch between a lot of different aesthetics, kind of one by one. Like, they would do the comic book, you know, pages turning um, aesthetic in one scene, and then they'd flip it and do more of a straight-ahead animation, uh, keeping the same color scheme and all that fun stuff, but just a lot of, like, the bordering work, and then um, kind of unexplained, they would do the internal monologue as, like, panels. Um, Or not panels, but, like, dialogue boxes. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, we talked about it before. We're introducing all the other different spider uh, things. Uh, can you even call uh, Peter Porker a carbon-based life form if he's a cartoon? Um, he's a, he's an I would say paper so. Paper-based life form. Well, <laughs> but the thing is that life. ultimately he's a spider who was bitten by a radioactive pig. I think both of those things are made of carbon, so I'll count it. <laughs> all right, so spider carbon-based life forms, um, they all of them like they they would switch between you know different genres. Uh, I, we talked about this before, and they, they consistently would change that up. That I think looks way more jarring um, in a live-action film, and so it, it just I don't think you could have done this. The, like you were saying with the sweatpants gig. Um, also, uh, this this year's been, uh, quick side note, this year's been super big on representation. Obviously, we started the year with Black Panther. We end the year with uh, the first Miles Morales movie. Um, I think this this was a bigger uh, win for sweatpants people. Uh, too long have we been set, looked as lazy and... <laughs> Is that Kyle? 
<laughs> I was gonna say this dude looks like Kyle Kowalski had sex with uh, Rick Ross. <laughs> <laughs> that's the voice actor for uh, Tombstone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, I, I didn't think that would send automatically. I thought I was just getting primed for after the, the show. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Kyle? <laughs> It's Kyle if he loved pears. Oh, I would never want to see that that sex tape. Um, <laughs> but yeah, huge win for for sweatpants people. Uh, a couple of things like the the artwork was amazing. Um, one thing that I think it really allowed them to do also as a animation rather than a live action was really mess with the villains. Um, like Kingpin, if it's, that's not an animation, how do you do that? I mean, do you put a super fat suit on? You know, I think they do a brilliant job on making D'Onofrio physically intimidating, but he's not like, uh, what's his face, Hardy from from Bane. Like, he's not jacked like that. He's he's honestly more intimidating with what he says in those, you know, the live-action Daredevil uh, shows. Whereas this uh, Kingpin was like an actual physical beast. Uh, same thing with Scorpion. I mean, Scorpion doesn't work. Green Goblin doesn't work in a real-life setting. And I think we've been inundated uh, by so many real-life-type comic book movies that if you put something like that in there, everyone would call it out on being fake, you know? Mm. Um, and so you can get away with that in animation and kind of opens up the character design a lot. Um, also one last little thing, this isn't really, I know we're talking mostly about animation and like character design. Um, it's part of this, but not like visual. I thought that they did an amazing job with those impacts whenever Kingpin was on screen. Whenever Kingpin Mm. took a step, there was like a real low. So I saw my first Dolby cinema experience for this movie uh which i don't necessarily know if it was worth it uh it's paying twenty dollars i don't i don't feel like it offered that much more um but i will say this it is pretty incredible and uh the sound in there was amazing with getting the like the real low end of like our hearing spectrum and it really rocked the place whenever kingpin you you he was a mammoth of a person and he sounded like a mammoth of a person. Uh, the other thing was there was a uh, theme for Shocker, I believe, um, that to me sounded like a huge ripoff of that female assassin from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I forget her name, but she was a Kree oh. warrior. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. They had a really, really, for a TV show, really unique, cool theme for her character. And they had a similar aesthetic for shocker whenever he was moving around and i loved it in agents of shield and i will be consistent and even though it was derivative say i still loved it in this movie i want to try to key in on who exactly you're talking about because there was no shocker in this movie but i am curious as to who prowler, you're talking prowler, about prowler prowler sorry oh, they, they okay. were i when i was thinking of homecoming and they were like together mm. you know and all their scenes so oh, you mean the black guy in homecoming I yeah see, I see well but like also wow. the black guy in, is that racist? That's racist. It's blue. It's racist. Whoa, well, is it, hey, uh, is mean, the Uncle Aaron that. Hispanic, though? Uncle Aaron's no, black. No, mixed. Uncle Aaron's Miles, black. Miles Morales is mixed. Miles gets his, gets his uh, Puerto Rican-ness from his mama. Yep. As you can tell by her booty. Yep. <laughs> In them nurses' robes. Ow. Yep. I'm fine with everything you just said there. 
Okay, for the uh, awkward transition. Uh, so if we are if we're good on the actual design, so the last section we do want to talk about is. I really want. I was curious of getting everybody's sort of opinion on the Spider-Man sort of origin story, especially how they handle it in this movie. I think some of the biggest issues that we've seen so far is any time that they they do a Batman movie, right, and they do a, a, a Superman or a Spider-Man movie. Like at some point, we have to deal with them kind of talking about the origin story, and then from this m- movie and how they've done the animation. Like, what do you think of uh, the future of comic book movies are going to be looking like and how the overall feel of it so far. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and toss it over to Brylin. Yeah. So I don't, as far as an origin story, I mean, it definitely follows the formula of the hero's journey to a T, especially for comic book heroes. Um, but also I like that as they say in the movie, um, it's kind of similar to what we've already experienced, but just a little different enough. And so I think they handle uh, Miles Morales's uh, origin story really well. Um, I like that there's some unique things, takes that Miles brings to the Spider-Man character. I like that it's not just enough to put on Peter's suit to be Spider-Man, that he has to take Peter's suit, uh, spray paint it black, and put his own design and style to it. So uh, I like that Miles is choosing to be Spider-Man in his own way. Um, I also like, uh, also one thing about it is I wasn't quite sure if this would be, uh, something I would enjoy because when the, they started doing the Spider-Verse stories in the comics, I wasn't really sold on it because I always felt like Peter Parker and Spider-Man is like a more grounded character, more of like, he's going to be protecting New York and everything. And all of his thing, all of his adventures are about New York, unless he's hanging out with the Avengers for a greater cause or hanging out with the fantastic four who they always like to fly into space or the cosmos or any other crazy place as well. So, but since this is Miles' story, I think it actually works really well to have this more um, over-the-top spider uh, happenings happen for Spider-Man. And I think it's really cool to like establish this as like kind of a a norm for uh, or a norm for this Miles Morales Spider-Man that he'll be. Uh, maybe in the future he'll be experiencing some very crazy shit compared to the Peter Parker we've been used to seeing. Uh, so I think that's uh, really cool that they did that. Um, I think uh, I think they uh, help hope they continue with this and like make it a franchise and start to continue to tell more of Miles' story and grow this character. I think it has a lot of promise and everything. Uh, I and like as much as people have wanted in the past to have a live action miles Morales or introduce miles as a live action character in a Spider-Man movie in the past. Uh, I remember there was a huge campaign for Donald Glover to play miles at one point. Uh, but, um, I think I would happily forego any live action version of miles to continue this animated series. I can't agree with you more. On that end, I just would, I would even forego and go even a step further to says, um, Sony, just don't make any more live action movies. Just make animated ones. I agree. Totally. Well, y'all don't want to see Far From Home? That's Marvel. Yeah. No, that's Sony. It's, yeah, but it's so a, it's a, yeah, 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 yeah. It's but it's, an, it's, 
It's a Sony production, but Marvel is like Marvel Studios makes the movie. Right. Um, it's Sony fronts the money and then gets the return on it, and then Marvel just does everything else. Yeah, like I mean, just looking at the last two, I don't think it's gonna happen. But you know, Sony looks like they hit big with Venom, um, and then Sony looks like they hit big with you know this movie. So where did Venom make its money? Because right overseas. now, it's, I was China. about to I was about to talk about that. It, it's made eight hundred and fifty. It's made more money than Ant Man and the Wasp, which kind of makes Wonder sense. Woman. Wonder Woman and the Justice League. Like, how the fuck does a movie with Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman make less money than that. Well, I mean, that movie was Henry Cavill's mustache. That movie was a nightmare, though. Like, you, I, I can understand what you're saying on paper, Bry, uh, Brylin, <laughs> blew it. I can understand what you're saying on paper, but the movie was an absolute nightmare. That oh month, yeah, the it was trash. It was like trash. the the director, like if that movie was competent, I don't think we would have had that uh, kind of conversation. I'm just curious is that you just mentioned a few movies from this year and last year. That mo- that movie, Venom, has made way more money than half of the Marvel films, maybe even more. Um, uh, so, It's uh, Tom Hardy's authentic New York accent. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So Let's be clear, bad. too, that even though a lot of that movie came from overseas and in China, it still made $212 million domestic. So yeah. it was it it was still a significant win for Sony, and like it pissed me off to hear that because, you know what? That's fine. I don't want Sony to make shitty movies in general. I don't want to pay money to go see a movie and then have it be shitty. But I don't want Sony to be emboldened by this and then uh, try to strong arm Disney during the uh, renegotiations for the t- Tom Holland Spider Man. Because if Sony takes back the MC the the rights to uh, Tom Holland entirely, I'm gonna. I'm gonna riot. I'm gonna put on a yellow jacket. I'm gonna go straight to Sony's headquarters, and I'm gonna throw some Molotov cocktails. Yellow jacket is more of an Ant Man thing, but (laughs) no, I'm I'm with you there. It's like it's like it's so brutal that like I'd want Venom to bomb and then Into the Spider Verse to be what it was, so Sony could just be like, oh, cool, we'll just make animated Spider Man films and then Mm -hmm. let Marvel do what they want with the rest of it. I mean, the silver lining behind Venom being successful is that we probably will get more into the Spider Verse films because of that. I hope uh, so. I mean, no, I think they're, that they're they're independent enough. No, because they don't cross so over. Movies, that's how it works. <laughs> the money goes to wherever they think the money should be spent. Anytime so somebody says that's how, anytime somebody says that's how it works, I just laugh. I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. That's how money works. That's how um, money works. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, like when they announced into the Spider Verse as a Sony movie, I was actually excited right off the bat, right off the the block, because I like Sony has done a good job with animated films in general. I mean, not every animated film they make is marketed towards me. Like, I'm not interested in seeing Hotel Transylvania or the Emoji movie. Sony, yeah, but Sony <laughs> did make uh, cl- uh, was it Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? And that movie, yeah. as the kids slaps. say, slaps. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I am like so I was very on board with it, and I wanted to continue making animated Spider-Man films, absolutely. But yeah, give the live action back to Marvel, oh, to Disney entirely. There's uh, you guys hear the uh, the crazy crockpot theory uh, from a couple of days ago. Wait, crackpot or crockpot? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> what are you cooking, baby? What are you cooking? We we cooking rocks. Um, that, uh, Sony pictures would be bought by Apple. 
<laughs> wow. And if That's so, so Sony would would exist. Just Sony Pictures would, and so that would, um, the rights for Spider Man would revert back to Marvel at that point. Well, they've already uh, fleeced a lot of Sony execs. Oh, Apple. No, I didn't know that. Wait, do you mean wait, when you say fleece? Do you mean like? Well, not fleece, but you know they poached. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's just Tim Cook <laughs> mugging Sony or baking. <laughs> Tim Cook just goes to Tokyo every once in a while and just like mugs a random like Japanese businessman, <laughs> just in <Super> hopes. <laughs> <laughs> just in hopes it's a Sony person. Uh, continuing on, Mocha, what you got for um, talking about the overall sort of origin story of Spider-Man, um, how they handle it in the film, and then the uh, future of comic book movies by this animation? Yeah, I uh, I thought that Sony had, or this film, had, did a really good job of giving a nod to acknowledging the fact that the audience was has been completely overexposed to Spider-Man origin stories. Um, at this point, we've seen a billion of them, and we all know that. And I'm glad that Sony took that that uh, that concept by the horns and gave us an origin story for every single one of the characters that started with, uh, "All right, for the last time, here's a Spider-Man origin story," and then quickly running through, uh, like really quickly, what each what started each character. Um, like I just appreciated that they uh, like they just acknowledged it and uh, acknowledged that and kind of uh, made a joke out of it. Um, but I think for, you know, the ultimate universe, Miles' story, uh, his origin story really came to life, uh, in this film. Um, you know, the, it felt intense watching Miles have his like panic attacks in school as his body is starting to react in these really freaky ways. That scene where he's like climbing, he's like slinking his way, uh, like along the side of the building, trying to figure out how to unstick his body and freaking, freaking out when they do like the fisheye lens scene while he's walking through the school hallway. And he's, you can see the beads of sweat on, on his face and he's just pat- panicking, thinking about like, like they all know they like, they can tell something's up, like be cool, be cool. It, um, it felt really like intense and claustrophobic. And I thought they did job with it. I also uh, really appreciate it just from a little subtle design point. What you mentioned earlier, the, uh, thought boxes from like the, the comic style thought boxes, I love the fact that they didn't give us any of those until uh, Miles discovered his powers. Um, because, like, for Miles, like, he's not seeing thought boxes. For him, it's just, like, he's experiencing his thoughts and his senses in a way more intense way. And having the thought boxes physically appear on the screen kind of gives the audience the same experience. Because we're still hearing the audio, but we're also suddenly getting to read it. So for us, it's like, oh, we're experiencing this in a more intense way. But then also tying that in with the... Uh, the general aesthetic of reading a comic was just this really like meta like way to approach that, that I thought was just like brilliantly done. Um, like, yeah, this, this movie went hard, man. It went hard in a lot of ways that I don't think it really, I, I don't think we deserved <laughs> in general. Um, but uh, I do think that animated is the future of comic book movies, particularly when it comes to experimentation. Um, I don't envision a world where the MCU live actions don't exist. But I want to see production studios taking, you know, whatever uh, licenses are left out there, taking the the reins with animated and trying to push those directions. Let Marvel and Disney focus on the casting, the sets, the budgets to make really, really good live action movies. But all these other studios that still have 
comic licenses and even the studios who have non-marvel comic licenses i think they should all start really focusing on animated because uh there's a bright future ahead there i mean i love animated films but man i can't i, I wish i can record and bottle your excitement because uh that would be that was great mm. blue blue what you got yeah so a couple things um i think i've said this before superhero films are not about what the powers are they're about the obstacles they need to overcome and i think that Spider-Man is the ultimate representation. Uh, a lot of us mostly get into these things uh, when we're around his age. And so we talked a little earlier about how he is infinitely re- like more relatable than a billionaire playboy philanthropist, you know? Um, and so to see, to see those powers develop in like that sort of setting was exactly what Spider-Man is about. Uh, it's not weird jazzercise, dancing, you know, it's not not being able to punch things really hard. It's about struggling with your identity and trying to find your way in the world. And this film captured it perfectly. I mean, granted, it you know, it, it, it captured it from a very specific, like, you know, inner New York City uh, perspective. Um, but that was so unbelievably relatable. Um, and freaking Sony got it right. Like, out of all the people, the, the, the studio that put out the Emoji movie somehow made this film that had so much character to it. Uh, that one hurts my mind. Um, as far as uh, the MCU goes, um, I think Miles Morales should show up eventually. I don't want him to be only a con- like a uh, animated film person you know, only like, I, I really hope they bring them in. Uh, obviously maybe phase end of phase four, phase five, you know, Spider-Man three, Spider-Man four or whatever. Well, what if he, uh, what if Miles Morales, because he's jumping all these universes shows up in the actual MCU as an animated character. Does that count? I would hate that. That would be awful. He's like the most emergent <laughs> br- cameo, and he just says hi and just leaves. I'd rather have. We're not going to spider him. Yeah, I'd rather have Ryan Reynolds Deadpool Deadpool do that. <laughs> yes, like that. Yeah. I wouldn't hate if he showed up. It was just like you know what, fuck you, DC, and then just walked away. Like that, I'd be fine with that. Because Ryan Reynolds also- is a actual living, breathing cartoon character. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's also keep in mind though, too, Warren, that although it could be classified as an easter egg miles has somewhat been established in the mcu already in homecoming his uncle aaron davis is there he talks about his nephew um there was apparently a deleted scene maybe not a deleted scene but rather something left in the cutting room floor uh from the script where he actively talks about his about miles and uses the name um so yeah i'm hoping we see that by the end of uh, the homecoming trilogy at least the character come 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 into his own or show up you know, the one thing I still hate, and a lot of companies do it, but it just feels like Sony is the worst with it, is just so much damn product placement. Oh my gosh. I was just like, just 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 stop. Like I get it. And we we're like, we get it, man. We get it. He's listened to those headphones. All right, cool. Like just relax. Just just relax. It is relax. impressive in an animated movie when you can do literally whatever you want and they still have like real life accurate Sony products. You gotta fund yeah. that budget somehow. Mm-hmm. Apparently, so, Janina's. Nope. 
So well, let's actually move into our conclusions. Uh, so I'm curious to get some final lasting thoughts. I'll start with Blewett. You know, some lasting thoughts for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I think they have a really successful franchise in the making right now. I'll go out on the record and say that um, the format they have and the ability to switch between animation genres uh, allows for a pretty infinite amount of uh, experimentation. Um, with the multiverse, they have almost an, like a, a lot of different characters they could bring in. Um, I'm really excited where they you know take it next. I really enjoyed this. It's probably the best animated film I'd seen this year. I don't know if it's top five film of the year, but it's definitely the best animated. Um, and you should definitely go see it if you haven't got the chance. I mean, I don't know if we're there just yet to talk about top five films. But oh, dude, it's mid-December. We can we can casually slip that in. Not like Brett Kavanaugh, but we can. Wow. Oh. Squeak and Mike. Uh, Rylan, what is your lasting final thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah. Into the Spider-Verse is a fantastic film. Um, I think uh, that uh, I want to see more of this uh, movie. Um, it's definitely the animated style is very unique to its own. So it can definitely cut its own like uh, place in animated films for what it does. Uh, but also I think this is actually a really great introductory point to Spider-Man. If anybody's never experienced Spider-Man in a comic or a movie before, I would happily sit someone down and say, here's Spider-Man. And if this becomes their first experience with Spider-Man, so be it. It's a great one. Uh, and I hope like if they do a sequel, I hope that we get to see characters like Silk and Madam Web and, uh, more Miguel O'Hara come through. Uh, even give me like someone like Craven the Hunter as a uh, villain. That would be really cool. Um, I think that would be uh, a lot of fun to just start to ex- uh, explore the uh, Miles Morales as much as possible for what you can do with this character right now. Nice. Mocha, what you got? Into the Spider-Verse is it's just a special movie. Um, it's this rare event for us as film goers or movie goers that readjusts your expectations for what's even possible in a film. Uh, and it reminds you that with a little bit of effort, there are still new spaces to be explored and new surprises for even like jaded movie watchers like us. Uh, this movie has more heart in it and more loving intent than almost, almost any other film released this year. And it is, in my opinion, hands down the best animated film of the year. So what would you say is the next uh, two animated films of the year so far? If this is hands down. Mm. Put put you on a spot. Yeah, uh, let's see. Next Gen. I think, yeah, I didn't see. I think it might be Next Gen and then uh, Incredibles 2 in that order. Next Gen was good, man. Y'all are smoking something. Next Gen was not that good. It was. I still like Rick and Ralph or Ralph Breaks the Internet better than... Um, next gen by a, by a long margin. So um, that's just me. I think next next gen was notice, notable for what it did in the space that that it was like being like a straight to TV animated film. It was way better than uh, than I think it had any reason to be. And Ralph breaks the internet could have been better. Yeah. It should have been better. Okay, I mean I'm not refuting you. You have your legit uh, uh, opinion. Save it for the uh, end of year wrap up. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't harken as I said so far about this movie. I really, really love this movie, and I went into it a bit nervous. Um, I think the only thing I knew about this movie was talking with Mocha about it, and he goes, you know, have you seen, uh, you know, Into the Spider-Verse yet? I was like, no. He's like, okay. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. And that was it. And I'm like, I don't, and now I don't feel like I would need to, like, now I'm super nervous about watching this movie. Cause I don't know. You were being way too vague of if it was good or <laughs> if it was bad, if you liked it. And so Indeed. I was going in kind of nervous, but I also go in blind for this movies for this reason. I really loved it. You know, my entire audience absolutely loved it. I mean, there was like af- absolutely cat. So somebody was cackling in this movie, which I thought was great. Uh, but some laugh out loud sort of jokes. And I think it's a perfect movie, especially for the holidays, especially for this time. It felt like this movie could do well if it goes if it comes out on Thanksgiving, you know, just as a family movie. But I think it's also a perfect time to come out. It's slower, um, still have family kind of traveling in. Um, it's also kind of a kids movie, but it also has like uh, everything that's needed for a lot of different levels for kids and adults, much like majority of all the Pixar movies are. Um, so with that, you know, the realness of the character designs as well. I just really, really enjoyed this movie. For me, for sure, it would be. You know, it's definitely top ten of the movie of the year. Like I would say, it's top three. Um, of the animated films, I would not be surprised if this wins Best Animated. For some reason, I think for some silly reason, it won't win. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does win. So I hope it wins. I, I think it'd be pretty cool, especially because that'll be the first time that we get a actual superhero movie that's winning one of those awards. Everything else has been kind of shied away from it because I don't even think even Incredibles won at that time. So yeah. And with that. Thanks so much for joining. We have been the Down in Front Podcast. Thanks, everybody, so much for joining up. Hooper Brylin, Mocha, and Blewett. Brylin, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me writing Miguel O'Hara fanfic on Twitter at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, you can also find me posting many movie and TV reviews and wonderful memes on Instagram at I am Brylin. I absolutely love it. Mocha, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on Twitter arguing with uh, other universe versions of myself about whether or not the world is flat at Mocha Mike L.I. as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at Mocha Mike. The person who has that username fell into a super collider and got lost in another dimension before you can give up the account. So for now, it's Mocha Mike L.I., um, however, you should also follow me on Instagram at Mocha Mike. Definitely uh, follow me if you don't currently. I'm about to uh, be posting some photos from my trip to France over the next couple of days. Uh, so we're going to have some cool stuff showing up there. And uh, yeah, you can also follow on uh, Medium at Mocha Mike, where I will one day be writing more uh, long form reviews about the things we talk about here. Gotta love it as usual. Uh, Blue It, the Shredder. Where can we oh. find more of your work? What, sh- what shows do you have coming up? playing in february sometime i have no idea where or or when but it is in february and we are playing it um also if you haven't checked out yet uh we put out an ep it was a halloween ep that we put out on thanksgiving uh because <laughs> yeah that's how that works uh but you can check it out it is on apple music itunes spotify pandora If you hit us up on Pandora, that's amazing. Like (laughs) that's incredible. What kind of rabbit hole do you have to go down under or go into in order to have your have Maya News pop up? Yeah, you'd you'd have to be under the rabbit hole for Maya News to pop up. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, so also if you want to reach out to me personally, um, you can get... Uh, I actually have a friend that's setting up self-help. It's just Jesse Rand Mentors Young Boys uh, at ymail.com. Again, if you're looking for some some help, Jesse Rand Mentors Young Boys. I like how that's not even a weird... Like, on a concept of it, it's like like athletic coaches, religious figures, like you know, fathers everywhere that they mentor young folks. But like when you put it out in those words, it's weird. Uh, before yeah. the 17th, you could have followed my Tumblr blog, Jesse Rand and gray sweatpants. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately that all got flagged. So now RIP. <laughs> RIP Jesse's. Uh, definitely check out more of our work. Yeah, definitely check out more of our work at downfrontpodcast.com where we have our video reviews and tutorials that we do have up there. Uh, we also have our teasers and all of our information. We have small different bios, which is pretty cool. Uh, Gamecast information and a bunch of stuff as well as our Twitter um, at underscore DIFP. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash downfrontpodcast. If you like what we do, you like us actually reviewing things because who doesn't? And it's given season because somebody birthday just passed that old guy down there uh definitely consider beca- becoming a patreon patreon.com down in front podcast that's always fun um you get early episodes and some other bonus content so thank you much for that i am super excited for everybody i'm super excited to hang out and brylan what is our next review uh we will be reviewing aquaman Oh, Aquaman, Aquaman. Wait, hold up. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Bye. Good morning. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> <laughs>